Hello, and welcome to The Roll-Up, Leafly's news and culture podcast covering all things cannabis. I'm your host, Bruce Barcott, and this week we'll be discussing Utah Senator Orrin Hatch, Ontario's plans for province-run cannabis shops, an increase in cannabis consumption rates, and the surprising number of jobs supported by legalization. Joining me today are Leafly editors Ben Adlin, hello, and Dave Schmader. Hello. All right, let's uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, we have big news this week. Uh, Senator Orrin Hatch came out as a medical marijuana supporter uh, on the Senate floor yesterday. Uh, Utah Senator Orrin Hatch, noted longtime Republican conservative and prohibitionist, gave a rousing defense of medical cannabis while introducing a bill that it actually wouldn't legalize medical cannabis. Um, but it would it would push for more research into it. Um, let's listen to an audio clip here. It will surprise no one that I am strongly against the use of recreational marijuana. I worry, however, that in our zeal to enforce the law, we too often blind ourselves to the medicinal benefits of natural substances like cannabis. While I certainly do not support the use of marijuana for recreational purposes, The evidence shows that cannabis possesses medicinal properties that can truly change people's lives for the better. And I believe, Mr. President, that we would be remiss if we threw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, so when I heard Orrin Hatch say that, I I feel like Orrin Hatch is full of surprises these these days. Uh, The other week he he came out uh, in support of trans troops, kind of took me by surprise. Um, And now we have this. Um, What do you think, like on on a scale of, of, of... uh, fall asleep in your chair to to pooping an actual brick. Um, how surprising was this to you? Dishmater. I am not big on the Orrin Hatch beat, um, uh, so it's very surprising. I mean, what I know is Orrin Hatch is basically Utah with arms and legs walking around. Um, so the fact that Utah is now pro-trans troops and pro-medical marijuana uh, is amazing. It ma- makes me wonder, it's a type of conversion that unfortunately for certain conservatives requires someone in your family or someone you actually know who is going right. to be affected by this. And has there been any clue of what inspired his big change? There was actually some, there were some clues in the speech he gave on the Senate floor. He mentioned a friend of his who had, I think, benefited. Uh, and I think he mentioned epilepsy in that context. Um, and he also mentioned the opioid crisis, um, which was amazing to me. I, I, I posted uh, a couple things on social media yesterday. It's like the notion that op- that cannabis can be a help in America's fight against the opioid crisis has gone from a laughable notion to being taken very seriously in about 3.5 seconds. Yeah, it's shocking. Of it seemed like nothing will, nothing can help with. I mean, with the death rates, it should. It, right, it, right, right. You should be looking at everything that can see, like save people's lives. Yeah, That's, I think I think the stories that have come out just over the past two, even two months have really opened a lot of eyes. Um, you know, we had Jeff Sessions actually make an, a, a joke about it. It's like eh, not a joke, but he was just like, "This is it's remarkable to me that people would con- even consider substituting one, you know, uh, addictive substance for another cannabis, addictive or not." debatable but um but he's now i think rapidly becoming a, a minority on that yeah. on that uh on that issue it does feel like that it's it's amazing the the um the other part of this that that struck me as um being important and sort of a watershed moment was the 
fact, not that Orrin Hatch is a conservative Republican, but the generation from which Orrin Hatch comes. And this is a generation that is pre-baby boomer. This is the Charles Grassley generation. These are, these are old folks. I mean, full respect, serving well in the Senate, but these are old folks. And um, these are often the, the people who are hardest to not just convince, but to open their minds to the potential yeah, of Yeah, they were, they were there for the entirety of the war on drugs, for the most part. Right. That, that is their baseline. If Orrin Hatch can change his mind on this, it made me incredibly hopeful. I mean, I really was was feeling uh, a little lighter during the second half of the day yesterday. Like, wow, this is things are really changing. If this guy can change his mind on this issue, um, there's no telling whose mind might also change. Yeah, and the generational thing. Uh, you know who has a lot of aches and pains that could feasibly be helped by topical cannabis products? That generation. Oh, I and, thought you were <laughs> going to say elected officials. No, just a lot of the kind of front friendliest welcome mat um, medical benefits of cannabis are uh, on joints and yeah, guess and who has sleep yeah. right right <laughs> no absolutely no, absolutely you, once once that knowledge starts getting passed around the right um, retirement homes i think a lot of students can, the ball could get rolling really fast there there is what are we I, doing in the office yeah <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot i think there's a lot of um, what do I want to call it subterranean um, support or at least acknowledgement um, about the legitimacy of medical cannabis from folks who are publicly opposed to it uh, on Capitol Hill. I was I was in D.C. on Monday and Tuesday this week and I uh, went around. I was at a conference sp- sponsored by Normal and they had a, um, a congressional lobby day on Tuesday. And I, I followed around and, and went to a couple of those meetings, uh, including one with, with Senator Cory Booker. But one of the most striking things that came out at the end of the day, people who were out there, citizen lobbying their senators and representatives, said was that there are a lot of people just sitting and taking them seriously and listening to their stories. People, uh, there's, there's one woman down in Texas who's doing remarkable work with the normal chapter down there. She sat with a staff member um, uh, with, who works for Pete Sessions who is the person who blocked the Rohrabacher Blumenauer Amendment just, what, last week, right? Um, Somebody ran into Senator John McCain in the hallway. McCain pointed to uh, this guy's um, cannabis leaf lapel pin and said, what's that? And the guy said, oh, I'm I'm with Normal. We're having a lobby day today. And, And McCain turned to the guy and just sort of informally said, well, you folks are winning. And it was just like it's a stunning statement, right? Just sort of offhand from John McCain. Uh, so I don't know. I, I end the week on an incredibly hopeful note. Yeah, and has there, has there been blowback? Or are, are other Republicans going, why wasn't I the one to jump on that first? Crickets. Crickets, Dave. Okay. I mean, nothing, really. No blowback. So, well, so far. We'll, right. we'll see. Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I had a, uh, a friend of mine uh, was in town. He's a, a, a D.C.-based politics editor at a, a major publication. Um, and he, I, I was saying, you know, I... I I don't buy this. Jeff Sessions isn't going to crack down stuff that I've been reading some places. Uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about it. And he said, you know what? I, I think you underestimate the number of people, uh, the number of elected officials in Washington, D.C., who maybe aren't outspoken about this, but would preserve their state systems if they had the opportunity. Basically, the suggestion that if if there is a crackdown or, or, or the indication of an early crackdown, um, he he suggested that we would actually see more action from Congress than people we actually expect. rising and, and pushing back. I yeah. remain skeptical because uh, Congress generally doesn't stick its neck out for issues like this. Uh, but I, I it, it it made me 
if if nothing else, reconsider sort of my my barometer on that. All right, all right. Let's move on to a, a second issue, Dave. The uh, the Canadian province of Ontario told us last week that it intended to open province-run cannabis shops when federal legalization kicks in, hopefully, June of 2018. How shocking was that? Yeah, we're going from all the all the feel-good feelings of Orrin Hatch's uh, transformation to the realities. Um, so Canada's on schedule to nationwide full adult-use legalization of cannabis by July 1st, and they've left it up to the provinces to figure out how to make that happen, which has left them all scrambling. There's a ton of drama going on. And Ontario is the first to step up and say, here is our plan for implementation of sales and regulation. And it was shocking to, well, to dispensary owners. It, 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 um, it restricts all, this, all sales of legal cannabis to 150 province-run stores and one province-run website. And by comparison, there are 600 liquor stores and not counting bars. Are the, are the liquor stores government-run as yes. well? Okay. Same, right. And so, the, same, so the LCBO is what they call it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so that's the comparison. It takes 600 liquor stores to ably supply this province, but it'll only take 150 cannabis stores. So there's a bit of a, like, of course, that might be a time thing. They, they're going to be, they're rolling them out. There's going to be 70 stores open, I think, by the first when, when legalization is supposed to happen, and then another 80 over the next year. So maybe they'll get up to speed, but there is this sense of that there's kind of a judgment in the number they yeah. have. And so um, is this just retail then? Uh, are growers and processors, are the, those can still be private actors, or how does that work? I think it's going to be they're going to need to buy buy from the that the state-run stores will buy from licensed producers. Okay, sure, that and makes sense. I guess the best bet for a private grower is to get hooked up with the licensed producer. Wow. I mean, like maybe there'll be fla- like subsidiary flavor strains of places yeah. if that's going to be the big hustle. There are many levels to this story, but one of the first ones that struck me was, wow, they really, really don't like those dispensaries that exist right now in Toronto. The, the police in Toronto have been cracking down on these dispensaries for, for more than a year now, and it's a bad scene. Um, but boy, they really want them out of the business. And I, I, I personally, I think that's a, that's a shame. It's a lot of... Um, uh, experience and um, creativity and, and good people running running those things right now. Yeah, and it, it's kind of a feint because the Ontario government had a, a, a poll that they wanted all citizens to take about their feelings on marijuana, and they overwhelmingly came out in favor of dispensaries, of that the citizenry who took yeah. this poll mm-hmm. were like, we love our dispensaries, we know they're a gray market, but the knowledge, the choice, the friendliness, the just storefront next to a subway sandwich place is what they loved, and the government kept saying, "We will. Your input is so important to us." And then, no, it's not. Or maybe, maybe the ideal is that they'll take what people loved about dispensaries and try to incorporate it into the government-run <laughs> stores, which is quite have, a dream. Have you been, have you been in a state-run store? Uh, were, were you around when uh, Washington State had state-run liquor stores? Oh, gosh. oh my God! Okay, <laughs> I remember that. Look, look. You anybody who hasn't been in a state-run liquor store, they have them in Pennsylvania still, I think. Um, and up until a few years ago, we had them here in Washington. And in Washington. It was like you were you were walking into a penitentiary. I mean, East Berlin. Was, oh my God! The lighting was horrible. They had crap linoleum floors, and the the they made the the poor clerks in these stores wear this just just shit mustard <laughs> vest. Remember that they wore those vests that were just. Oh my God, they were hideous. You felt so bad going in and coming out. Really? You bought twice as much than you needed because you were so depressed. Oh my God. Get excited, Toronto. Here it comes, Toronto. <laughs> right. And then on, on the other hand, you know, we've seen these amazing designs in cannabis stores and dispensaries in, in 
Washington and Colorado. I've seen amazing stores in Arizona down there in Phoenix. Um, and <laughs> I can't believe that the same thing is going to happen in uh, in Toronto. So, uh, David, to walk this back just a quick second, do we have a sense of how much of this is the result of uh, regulatory fears in terms of private industry advertising, X, Y, and Z? Or is this an effort to, to capture some of the uh, an extra sort of portion of revenue from a new industry, do, do we do we have any sense of? It depends on who you ask. Sure. You get a little as, both, as and um, you know, of course, the dispensary scene that's that's been living and thriving for a while sees this as um, the licensed producers basically using the police to enforce their business plan. Mm-hmm. And so, licensed producers, for those of you who aren't familiar with Canada, there's a very small number. Is it eight? Is that right? Still, and we just got another one. Okay, so this week, uh, a small number, uh, less than a dozen, uh, uh, licensed producers, meaning they have basically nationally, they are only a, a dozen uh, uh, licensed folks who can cultivate and distribute cannabis. Uh, med- yeah, medical, excuse me, medical, medical cannabis. System. Yeah, um, they're licensed by Health Canada, and uh, I think uh, patients actually will. You get your card, and then you sign up with a licensed producer and put in your order online, and then they send it to you in the mail is how it works right now. And this would uh, presumably be, I mean, these are storefronts we're talking about here, but still, um, if they're if they're purchasing from licensed producers, that, that uh, eliminates a lot of opportunity for people who are good farmers, you know? Um, yeah, <laughs> that's. Um, I'm trying to think. I want to share. Of course, we're plugged into the dispensary scene, and I I love the dispensary scene. So I'm like, boohoo! There are some people who've seen some silver linings. There's going to be a lot of very well-paying um, provincial jobs to run these stores, mm-hmm. um, and that's about it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's interesting because you know we have we have uh, a number of provinces to come, and it'll be especially interesting to see what British Columbia does. Um, British Columbia has um, made a peace with its storefront dispensaries, its gray market dispensaries, uh, yeah, it's for sort many of a, years now. It's sort of a tale of two cities in yeah. Vancouver yeah, and really Toronto is. right now. Yeah. Come on, baby, come on, baby. This week, we published Leafly's annual cannabis jobs count. This has been a, kind of become a tradition around the newsroom. Um, it started last year when we started asking the question, how many jobs actually are supported by legal cannabis? And nobody could tell us. Nobody no, knew. Nobody knew. And so we decided, well, <laughs> let's find out. Uh, we took a, a few months, actually, and dove into the data and came up with a number. Um, and last year, it was about 122,000. Uh, joining us in the guest seat this week is Gage Peak. Hello. Welcome, Gage. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> uh, Gage and I worked together on um, that cannabis jobs count last year. And again, this year, we came up with a figure that was, uh, in 2017, 22% higher. What was the number, Gage? That was 149,304 jobs. Yes. Nearly 150,000 jobs supported by legal cannabis. Um, obviously, one of the reasons we do this count is to give some time in the spotlight to people who are in this industry um, and let people outside the industry you know, know that these are actual people with actual jobs. They're farmers, they're accountants, they're editors, writers, and podcasters, especially at a time when American jobs are in the news and in political play. Uh, and, you know, the idea then that maybe the federal government would come down, come in and crack down on these jobs. Well, you're 
you'd be taking American jobs away if you did that. Um, and giving them back to people to who people are breaking the law. Are breaking the law and outside the United States. Hey, Gage, tell, tell me, about, I want to ask about uh, one of our toughest states, which was Nevada. Nevada was really hard to come up with, with a count. And, and we, went with, we went with your theory. There are 60, uh, 60 stores, right? Correct. Break down yeah. how, we, how we did that. Yeah, so Nevada, there are 60 stores that were licensed originally to the state. And I think that there are 59 that are currently open mm-hmm. right now. But uh, we end up coming up with uh, 4,100 jobs, almost 4,200 jobs. Um, kind of through going breaking Nevada down into a three-tier system. And those three tiers included uh, the first tier, which would be Las Vegas. And we think that's obviously the, the major city. Highest volume. Uh, highest yeah. volume tourists. And then the second tier would be the Reno area. And following that is kind of basically everyone else right, in Nevada. Right. No, no, there's only about two cities, maybe, maybe, maybe two that, cities yeah. in the States. So we, we broke it down through Vegas, Reno, and everyone else, including Carson City, and we, yeah, and we we uh, talked to um, people who were in the industry there. Um, some of our sales reps here gave us some insight into um, into their volume. We broke it down into, um, you know, we've been to a few of these stores in Las Vegas, and you can see how many stations there are, how many bud tenders are actually at the counter. You know, and okay, if it takes, if each bud tender can work with one customer every, say, 10 minutes, okay, one bud tender works with six customers per hour times, say, five stations, that's 30 people per hour through there times, you know, you're not, you're not coming out of any cannabis store under 60 bucks. And if you're in Vegas, it's more like a hundred bucks, maybe $110, something like that. So we, you start crunching those numbers and they add up pretty quickly. And yeah, I was actually impressed when I was going through and just copy editing the dang thing. Um, So that 149,304 number isn't to say that there's 149,304 people. Right, people with full-time jobs. Can full-time you explain job. a little bit what right. that number means and, and how you kind of uh, realize yeah, that we, state by state it's yeah, different, yeah, but yeah. how'd you, how'd you yeah, crunch those numbers? The, the 149,000 number is uh, full-time equivalent jobs. In other words, if, if two people are working part half-time, that's one FTE, okay. full-time equivalent job. Um, but it also, the, the numbers also... Um, are derived from a, a couple of studies that have been done over the past couple of years in Colorado, Washington, and Oregon, looking at uh, jobs, not just cannabis jobs that are touching the leaf, in other words, farmers um, and people in the retail stores, but people who are affected by the cannabis industry, who rely on the cannabis industry, um, both you know, lawyers, there's, there's the law firm Vicente Cedarberg based out of Denver that has I, I think they must have tripled or quadrupled in size over the last 18 months. You know, they're opening um, satellite offices all over the country. Or, uh, Leafly or us. itself yeah, has, has mm-hmm. at least doubled in the size in the last in the last year or so. You know, if legal cannabis didn't exist, neither would we. Um, so there are all these ancillary businesses that are absolutely dependent on legalization that don't touch the leaf. And that's and that's what we wanted to sort of bring out of the shadows are, are all these businesses that are, um, you know, just as legitimate as the, the state licensed farmer mm-hmm. and also just as dependent. Not on. just your dispensaries, but your security guards right. and your lawyers and content writers and lawy- whoever. So people is. who might not be captured in the sort of state licensing yeah, of correct. the industry right. itself. We wanted right. to show that there's more than just the 
the person who picks cannabis or the person who just sells the cannabis to the customer. What did we have in Colorado, like 26,000 jobs? We had uh, 26,891, which is, uh, was around a 15% increase was, from was the Was that before. the most? What, what was the most no, in the California least? California had like okay, um, 26,000. Sure, sure. uh-huh. But the, the most jobs was California, which is uh, 40, almost 48,000. Um, but the, the, the states that had the most increase in percentages were actually um, Alaska and Hawaii. Both had... Uh, increases of over a thousand percent i don't have the numbers with me right this second but they're small numbers to begin with yeah they were small yeah they yeah. were it was like a hundred to like 800 jobs yeah. basically like a 600 job gain no. i assume maybe some of those newer states with medical programs were the ones with the the smaller smaller numbers correct yeah we had uh what do we have in arkansas arkansas Three, was four? like uh i think it was five yeah like the standard the standard number of the lowest states was around five to six because we figured there was at least three people the initial, in the state government right who the initial people it, right? giving yeah, out someone's got to be reading those applications right. Yes, right. exactly, exactly. So, and it could or, very or well not, be like, you know, seven people, yeah. but, you know. We tried to cross-check these numbers any way we could. And in Colorado, you know, one helpful number was that the uh, Marijuana Enforcement Division issues licenses to anybody who is working for a licensed cannabis company in the state. And they have issued 30,000 med licenses. Now, that's not to say that 30,000 people are, are currently working, working there in the yeah. industry, but it's a good number to to compared to you know even if say you know 20,000 of those people are working in the industry that means you know the ancillary jobs are around that like we at Leafly don't need a license to to do what we do here but we're nevertheless connected to the industry um so hey Gage while we've got you here absolutely you also did another story this week about a study that found an increase in the adult use of cannabis from I think 2005 or so to 2015 yes, yes. but it also claimed that it wasn't tied to legalization. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Right, right. The The study comes from a guy named William Kerr, and he comes from the Public Health Institute. And basically what, what they were doing is showing that cannabis has, can, cannabis consumption has increased since, um, there's a few different ranges of years, but mainly it was from the turn of millennium up to 2015-16. Uh, uh, and we end up finding that, well, the story ended up resulting in uh, the women's have actually doubled their use consumption use in the last 20 years as well as uh, basically men's have also they went up to 14.7% of consumption uh, which was up from 5% in the 1990s so. and why and what was their theory about why legalization wasn't leading consumption really i think it comes down to is that these they were seeing these numbers increase really before states really started to legalize. And so even going back to 2010, 11, and 12, uh, there's been a steady increase in both male and female adults' consumption use rates. So it's, it's steadily gone up from you know, 4% to 5%. Now it's up to 12.7%. So it just continues to steadily rise. Yeah, there was. I was reading your piece, Gage, and there was uh, a quote, something along the lines. I think it was from the author. Uh, basically, it, it's not so much uh, uh, ch- that policy, that changing policy right. is right. changing people's behavior attitudes. It's that people's changing attitudes are the things that are actually bringing about Correct. legalization. Correct. Right. Um, on a totally different foot, uh, foot, note, yeah. something. On <laughs> no, some, note, issue. Pick Data an appendage, point. any Data appendage, point. and yeah. put this on that. Uh, Washington State uh, also saw an increase. Uh, I, I read a red piece. Uh, okay, so let's back up. Uh, in 2012, Washington and Colorado, both legalized, became the first two states. Uh, in Washington, they were required by law um, to basically put out, for 30 years after legalization, um, 
uh, updates that are looking at cost-benefit analyses, right? So they look at some key metrics. They look at some public health information. Actually, one of the things that everybody has been looking at very, very closely in legal states is what's happening with teen cannabis consumption. Uh, what are school kids doing? Are, are, you know, is legalization, in fact, leading to an increase? Or, uh, as some uh, advocates have said, uh, is it actually making it harder for, for students to get? So we got some, some pretty new, up-to-date information, at, at least out of Washington State. Uh, I think this was last week, two weeks ago. Um, and it found pretty much across the board that since legalization was enacted, and then uh, even more so since uh, legal sales began, uh, teen use has, has pretty much fallen in every category. Um, at, the, at the, I suppose, worst case, uh, it has remained steady in some age groups. I think that's the 12th grade uh, age group. Um, but, but across the board, it has fallen. And the other sign that I thought was interesting um, was it, it noted that uh, students had said, both since legalization and, again, since legaliz- legal sales began, uh, cannabis has been more difficult for them, either hard or very hard, uh, to obtain. So more and more students are actually saying that it is more difficult for them to get, uh, which is what you'd like to see from a regulated market, something that's in fact works and regulated and follows said regulations. Um, the, the, the thing that uh, was also impressive, uh, and again, gauged sort of to your note, um, Washington also noticed uh, an uptick in adult use of cannabis use rates. Um, but what I thought was really interesting, and, and I encourage you listeners to go on uh, and, and read the story and look at some of the graphs that they put out, because what you'll notice is, Adult use, both in terms of past 30-day and in terms of lifetime users, uh, so folks who've ever tried cannabis, um, that went up considerably uh, in the after legal sales began, but it has since gone down almost to the point uh, where it began. So I've seen people exaggerating that. I've seen people saying, oh, it leads to all kinds of crazy uh, cannabis use. People become hardcore cannabis users. I didn't really realize that, that it had gone up and then kind of gone down. And so I, I just wanted to add a little bit of subtlety to it because I think we've all sort of seen that adult use rates are going up a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I want to point out that it's, it's, it's more than just going up. It's doing interesting things. Come on, baby, come on, baby. Come on, baby, come on, baby. I'm still hung up on one edge. <laughs> okay, we, we gave due diligence to the impressiveness of his change and the significance of the growth, but we have not talked about the pot puns. Oh, yes, I saved that for boy. the last thing. I, I thought we would go out. I thought we would go out with this. I was this hoping was, we could get through without any mention. Oh, my God. So, I don't know. It's All right, look. I, I got to preface this by saying, look, it's been a bit of a bad week for congressional staffers, Ted Cruz. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Do not but this like. was this was Hatch's um, lead statement uh, on the bill that he introduced um, and on medical marijuana. Do you want to read this one, Dave? You have, you have, the, you have the most uh, uh, well-trained dramatic voice. Okay, and I'm, I don't want to... I'm going to read it subtly. I'm not going to hit the, um, all the puns. You're going to have to use your own ears to notice the puns. But, um, okay, so what, how's my Orange Hatch accent? Okay. It's high time to address research into medical marijuana. Our country has experimented with a variety of state solutions without probably delving into the weeds on the effectiveness, thank you, safety, dosing, administration, and quality of medical marijuana. All the while, the federal federal government strains to enforce regulations that sometimes do more harm than good. To be blunt, we need to remove the administrative barriers preventing legitimate research into medical marijuana, which is why I've decided to roll out the MEDS Act. End quote. Thank you, Senator. Okay. Now, you're, somebody asked this question. 
did he know? Was someone punking him? I think I think it was a staff member punking him. I mean, I really <laughs> look look the the seriousness with which Hatch addressed this on the floor of the Senate was was really amazing. And I, you know, when I first saw this statement, I sort of like, oh yeah, that's that's funny. And then I I heard him on the on the Senate floor, and I was I was sort of taken aback, and I was like, man, they're they're kind of I I, I don't know that I would fire that staffer, but I would have a word with them. Like, you're really undermining the seriousness of the message here. Yeah, I've read this paragraph three or four times now, and I have no idea what it actually says, because all I do is look for pot puns. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, oh, there's another one. Is experimenting supposed to be one? I don't even know. <laughs> you know? And, and, and then I'm like, wait, what did I just read? What is, the, what is the, 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 the thrust of this? Which is disappointing, because the whole reason he went out on a limb is to try to make people listen, and not just giggle. And, and I think that might have been uh, more of the reaction than we would have liked to see was was giggling. I don't know about you. I was I was looking at Twitter as this was happening, um, and yeah, I I wasn't seeing wow. Orrin Hatch has come out. I saw wow. Look at all those puns. What's this about? Right, and which is weird because the whole impetus I think on Hatch's part came from you know families, uh, parents, uh, people with epilepsy in his home district who are suffering. And, and You don't think they got a good laugh out of that? Yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, my, my 50 seizures a day are calmed and now down to one or zero. That's hilarious. Thanks. Bring us out on a, on a lighter note here, Dave. I, oh, my God. Bring us up. I look forward to next week's story about exactly how this came to be that we will read through some amazing news source. Maybe it'll be us. <laughs> maybe, but we'll I wanna... us maybe an expose in Politico. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, until then, we will keep our eyes open, and we will bring you that story if it, in fact, comes out. Uh, thank you for listening to The Roll-Up. We'll be back same time, same place next week. I'm Bruce. I'm Ben. I'm Gage. I'm Dave. Hey, we'll see you next week. is a production of Leafly, the world's cannabis information resource. Production assistance from Katie Sewell and Charlize Metcalf. Our theme song is Turn Me On by the Shivas. Be sure and check out their work on iTunes. We survive and thrive on word of mouth. If you enjoy what you hear, subscribe, tell your friends, and tweet a link to the world. Turn me on.